Amen. You caught me getting another stool. I sat on that one, and, and it was a good chance it was going to fall over. And it would have been fun for you, but not for me. Um, <clears throat> I, love this, I love this place. I was sitting here. This, uh, this isn't in the notes. I just love this place. I come in here on a Sunday, and I see just person after person. I go, I can't believe that person is my friend. Some of them, I'm like, oh, geez, I was supposed to call them back this week, and that's, I avoid you. And in, in case you've ever wondered, is he avoiding me? Probably. Um, if it seems that way, it might be true. I don't know, but it's probably just because I owe you a phone call or an email or something. But um, I just love the people that God has put in my life. These, these lights are a remnant of a, uh, they're the afterglow of a wedding. This was a wedding chapel yesterday afternoon. Pete and Julia, who I can now say Pete and Julia Gockenbach instead of having to say Pete Gockenbach and Julia Wilson every time I talk about them. Got married in here. A bunch of you were there, along with a lot of other people. I love, I love this place. Because I have friends here. What a blessing that is. Um, God is a communal God. Praise God um, from whom those all, all blessings flow, flow. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He's this communal God, and we've had this image in this move series of the glory of God pouring out like water, like a, like a, a, a roaring thunder of water. Um, but you know, that roaring thunder of water, it flows into this beautiful, this beautiful, refreshing, redemptive pool where his people swim and dwell in safety and peace. God wants you to know, number one, life is not about you, it's about him. He's not here to serve you, he's, you're here to serve him. But the beautiful thing about that and why that's good news and not bad news is because you serve him by remembering that he has set you free. That's what we talked about with worship. Worship is about freeing ourselves to allow the glory of God to pour through us by the grace of Christ. Well, what God wants you to know also and what we're gonna be talking about the next few weeks is that he loves you. He wants to be your friend. He has pursued you. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son. He pursued his enemies to make you friends. That's what he's done. So this week... You know, our pillars are worship, community, and renewal. And those are great words, but I want to warm that up a little bit and just talk about community as friendship. So we threw that out this week in personal worship. Um, uh, what, what is friendship? What makes a great friend? What are, some, some, uh, what are some powerful expressions of friendship that you have? Some things that you remember, either a story or even a movie or a TV show or a group of friends that you celebrate um, you know, in, in a story. And I just wanted to share with you what uh, one of my friends, one of our friends, uh, sent to us in response to that question. <laughs> that is great. I love that. And let me tell you what's great about that. Um, two things. Number one, uh, he compiled a bunch of things you guys sent in. So here's what I know. I know that as that video uh, happened, uh, little waves of emotion went across the room. You know, you didn't care about maybe, you know, uh, you didn't care about the Friends guys, but you cared about Cheers, or you cared about the Golden Girls. You know, something in there related to you, right? Um, man, what a contrast, the way I feel when I come in this place. What a contrast to the feelings of that video, which included uh, his community group. What a contrast to the cultural divide 
and the growing vitriol and the discouragement that, that we seem to feel outside of our little communities. This week, this month, it's, it's blending into years now. Uh, man, it just seems like it's getting harder and more harsh and more, and more discouraging, disheartening and frustrating. Um, we tend to identify problems uh, uh, as political, philosophical, ethical, moral, and all of those things play a part. Don't let me... Uh, don't hear me uh, minimizing those things. They all play a part. But I want to tell you that I think there's something bigger than all of those things because there's always been dissent over those issues. I think it's isolation. I think it's an erosion of true, meaningful, enduring friendship. It's a loss of community and the place where it's safe to disagree about those things have different opinions, to learn from each other. So I want to make my case, and I want to make it from the life of Jesus. We reflected this week on a prayer of Jesus. We call it the high priestly prayer. It's in, it's in the gospel of John chapter 17. And what it really is, when you break it down, is it's Jesus crying out to the Father as an advocate for his friends. He's going to be leaving his friends with a mission that he's given them. And he knew he was going to have to do this. And so he's crying out to his father to say what, that, that they're mine and they're yours. And I pray, Father, that you would walk with them, that you would unify them, that you would not take them out of the world because they have work to do here, but that you would walk with them in the world. And he advocates for his friends. Now, I want you to consider for a minute, because maybe you never have, who his friends were. And I want you to think about it in light of your own friendships, your own circles, your Facebook friends, all those kinds of things, and in light of our current cultural context. These were some of Jesus' friends, okay? He had 12 disciples. We'll focus on those. Andrew, Peter, James, John, and probably Thomas and Nathaniel and Philip were fishermen, okay? Now, some of them were business owners and entrepreneurs. Some of them owned the deal, right? They had employees and things like that. Some of them were just blue-collar workers. They just got up in the morning, got something to eat, went and got on the boat, went out and fished, and they had to come back, clean the fish, whatever, uh, you know, dry the nets. That was their life, okay? So that was them. That was a bunch of them. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. So in modern-day equivalent, uh, he was a white-collar guy. He was smart. He's well-educated, probably. Um, he made his money, and a lot of his money, this was his job, okay, legit job, he enforced Roman tax laws, and the way he made money is he got to hold a portion of that that he picked a percentage of, of the taxes he collected, and he made a lot of money. And here's the other thing, he was Jewish, and he probably went to synagogue and all that, but he had a lot of secular friends. He's kind of a madman kind of guy. I suspect he had the, the official religious world to maintain his his Jewish connection, but uh, it says that he would throw parties and invite Jesus, and then Jesus would get accused of partying with sinners and drunkards. <laughs> this is one of Jesus' friends, right? Simon the Zealot. Why did they call him a zealot? Well, because he was a zealot. Zealots were political operatives. Think about this. Think about the news last week, the pictures you saw, right? He was a political activist. He engaged in radical protest and anarchy to overthrow the government. Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' friends. Judas. We don't know exactly what Judas did for a living, but ultimately we do know that he was a thief and that he betrayed Jesus. 
Did it ever occur to you that Jesus knew that when he recruited him as his friend? So in his work, the work of Christ, the Son of God, one of the Trinity, in his work to restore the world, to right relationship with God and bring peace to the nations, this was his crew. Some fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, a political uh, activist, a betrayer. And then what did he do? He recruited them, and then what did he do? He lived with them. He didn't just call meetings. He didn't set up a strategic plan. He didn't, he didn't workshop it and put it up on the board. He didn't create a, a business plan. He just started living with them, doing life with them. He put time in with them. They worked, taught, ate, slept, prayed, laughed, cried, rebuked, embraced, and eventually died for each other. This motley crew. Hugely diverse bunch of guys. The common denominator, the thing that held them together was not politics. It was not philosophy, ethics, morals, any of those things. The common thing that held them together was the love of Jesus who set out to make them his friends. To rise above all those things. Think about it from their perspective as the friends. Peter was a loudmouth. He regularly overpromised and underdelivered. Jesus had to rebuke him and shut him down and call him out and hold him accountable. He called him Satan one time. And then he said to him, on this rock, Peter, I will build my church. He changed his name from Simon to Peter. Simon, it might have meant listener in the Hebrew, but more likely because Peter was a rough guy and a fisherman, it probably meant what the Greek meant, which was snub nose, flat nose. It was mockery. It was maybe a little racism. He said, Peter, you're a loudmouthed idiot, and I have to shut you down, and I have to straighten you out, but I know that underneath all of that baggage is this incredible thing that God created in you, and on this, not snub nose, on this rock, the real Peter, I will build my church, and he did. He never stopped believing in Peter. Peter was hung upside down on the cross for his friend Jesus. And it wasn't because they came to terms on their political issues. It's because Jesus never stopped loving him. He never stopped being hopeful for him. He never gave up on him. And many more times than he rebuked Peter, we can imagine that he encouraged him. And that that voice, you are the rock, sang much more loudly than the rebuke such that he understood the rebuke as love. In Matthew, what do we see? We see that his morals, his associations, and his lifestyle did not cost him his friendship with Jesus. Somehow Jesus was able to maintain his integrity as God, as divine, as morally perfect, as wise, and maintain a relationship with this person, Matthew. Even in, Jesus, even in Judas, we see something. It was Jesus' willingness to take risks, to cast a wide net for this mission, to draw friends to his cause of redemption. 
He was willing to do that. He was willing to be vulnerable. And so it was this bunch with whom Jesus sat when he prayed that beautiful prayer that you studied this week to God on their behalf. But here's what he said to them at dinner. He sits them down. They're at Passover, which we now understand as the Lord's Supper. And by the way, Passover was not a gloomy, oh, it was a huge party. And there was laughing and celebrating and there were kids running around and everything else. So in the midst of all that, somehow he brings them down, he gets them quiet. And here's what he says to them the day before he goes to his death. He says, this is my commandment, brothers, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says this, and they don't even know what it means yet. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And they probably went, ah, yes, yes, yeah, raise a glass. It's a good word. And little did they know what would happen next. I think the thing that divides us, the thing that will repair us, the thing that divides us is isolation. The thing that divides us uh, is this loss of meaningful, intimate relationships Medicine bears that out. There is tons of medical research that says as bad as smoking 13 cigarettes a day, being an alcoholic, being obese, as bad as that is on your health, so is loneliness. I think Tom mentioned a while back that in Great Britain, they've actually appointed a minister of loneliness because it's a health issue. So I think if you want to work on anything, if we as the church want to take on a mission, it's a great mission and it's very clear, it is cultivate meaningful friendships and relationships with each other, player to player, with the fans, so that the spectators might see the difference between an isolated world that lives in a vacuum, starving for love, and acting out as a result. You ever have somebody and you thought they were a friend, you find out they're not? Are you mad because of their political views? No, you're mad because you thought they were your friend. When they're your friend, you've got all this latitude, right? To love them, to forgive, to be gracious, to accept, to not judge. And then the friendship is over and you don't think they love you anymore. And all of a sudden, all that other stuff is a problem. I think that's what we're dealing with today. So there's a great TED Talk. I'd encourage you to watch it. A woman named Shasta Nelson. She's the CEO of a, a business called... Uh, uh, girlfriendcircles.com. She has this concept she calls friendtimacy. It's really great. She gives three requirements for all healthy relationships. And I think if you, when you hear these, I think you'll hear these borne out in the relationships of Jesus with his friends. Uh, number one is consistency. Number two is vulnerability. Number three is encouragement. Consistency, vulnerability, and encouragement. Consistency, very simple. And this is one of the reasons I think we struggle in our culture. Uh, consistency is very simply hours logged. It's rituals and patterns and trust that's built by just simply being together. We feel safe when we can anticipate how someone's going to respond to us, even if it's negatively, even if they're going to disagree with us. When I know them as a friend and I can anticipate the response and I know that it doesn't cost me my relationship, that, only, that, that is only forged with time together. We tend to think that affinity builds consistency if we have like minds, if we have like minds then we want to be together more. It's really the other way around. If we commit ourselves to being together more, the affinities build. If we don't spend time together, then there's no meaningful affinity really ever formed. Our relationships seem inauthentic at best. 
We're certainly not there for each other. We certainly wouldn't hang upside down on a cross for each other. Consistency, hours logged. It's a challenge in our culture of expressive individualism. Second thing, vulnerability. You need a group where it's safe to share real things, ugly things, awkward things, and to receive input, and here's the biggie, and still maintain your standing and security in your relationship. That's a feature of friendship. And it's something we choose to do volitionally. You're my friend no matter what. Nothing you can, I have people in my life, no matter what they ever do or say, they're gonna be my friend for the rest of my life. Even if they end up hating me, I'm still gonna be their friend. Vulnerability. Number three, encouragement. Encouragement. So this is borne out in research. For every one negative input you get, you need about five encouragements for you to still feel a part of that relationship and for it to be healthy for you, for it to be healthy and redemptive. Pick your number, but here's the deal. That rebuke, that negative input, that passive aggressive didn't call you back, (laughs) well, that's just garbage. But even a positive rebuke has to be surrounded by encouragement. Meaningful, I love you, you can't lose your relationship with me, I see the rock in you, not just the flat nose, kind of love. So here's the thing. The problem is not just that we need to find more friends. It's that we need to become better ourselves at being friends. Your loneliness is not for a lack of friends. It's for a lack of intimacy. The practice of true friendship. And it's work. Here's what friendship needs are. Tell me if I'm wrong. I want to be seen. I want, I want to be recognized. Somebody walks in a church, they say, I went three months. Nobody talked to me. I love the service. The music was great. I like the message, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? They don't stay for that. They leave once nobody talks to them, and they should. They're a spectator who watched the players and went, I don't want any part of that game. In the vacuum of friendship, where there is no friendship, here's what you get. Now, think about the news in the last week. Here's what you get. Objectification and dehumanization. Self-righteousness, isolation, self-absorption. What's broken? The politics, the philosophy, the morals, the relationship. Part of the problem may be this. The distraction of an ever-expanding base of loose associations and acquaintances formed through social media and everything else. We got too many of these. We got a million of these. We can't keep up with them all. Number two, the overabundance of life Uh, and social choices that fill up all of our white space and disrupt our time together. I've got too many choices. I'm trying to manage this perfect channel of of self-fulfillment, and so I really don't ever have this deal where I'm just with the same people all the time. We do life together, and we form that kind of bond of trust. I think that's an issue that we have to consider. And then thirdly, the bombardment of negativity from everywhere all the time. Time. You can say the most noble thing you ever imagined and think no one can possibly disagree with this. And not only will someone go, excuse me, I beg to differ. They will go, and they will, they will just crush you. They will crush your soul because you like dogs and they hate dogs. Therefore, you're evil and your wife probably doesn't love you. And they'll put it all on social media for the whole world to see. Streams of bombardments of negativity that you got to just turn off and you got to catch it before it comes out of your mouth. 
because you are objectifying your self-righteous, you're isolating, you're self-absorbed. Friendships don't just happen. It's up to us to make them happen, especially the church. Because our, the father of our friendship is Jesus. You understand you're an extension of those 12 relationships. Your extension of Jesus, the Father, the, the, the Holy Spirit, who drew those men into friendship and created a model for you to live. And you're an extension of those friendships. You exist because of those friendships. And the people after you will exist however they exist, modeled after our friendships. So we move, we become people who move, a church that moves. We move in worship, we move in community. So what I wanna to do to get real practical about this is I wanna bring up a very special friend of mine and she's gonna talk a little bit about how this works at Rio. And I want you to think about how to engage this, but I don't want you to do a duty checklist. All right, to be a better Christian, I need to do A, B, and C. I want you to be set free and realize that God loves you and so he's given, given you a place and a means, an opportunity to be loved and to love to be served and to serve. And I just want you to, to think it through and figure out how it works into your, your own life and how your wife, life works into it. So Melissa Fox coming up. She is our uh, director of community and like everything else. So anything that's done well around here, she's probably got something to do with it. And I'm gonna sit here and heckle her as we. Good morning. I love that video. I think uh, it's really interesting, you know, Child comes up to the elderly gentleman. He looks away. The Jamaican woman, she looks down and she continues to read that even the child picks up on it and says, are you shy or something? But they all come to ask the same question of their new friends. Where are your friends? One man says he's new to London and the woman explains she was born in, in Jamaica and so that's why she was alone. And then the last man, he, well, he claims he once had hundreds of thousands of friends, but now he has a lot on Facebook. But it got me wondering, what would our response be to that question if someone found us sitting alone? You know, many of you might find yourself in these categories, living under circumstances that have you far from friends, family, or loved ones. Or you might be surrounded by many people and still lack sincere and genuine friendship. Matt shared some of the statistics he found um, on loneliness, and, and they just surprised me. You know, I thought, in, in a world where we can be so social, is, is anyone really lonely? I mean, we can jump right on Facebook and we see lots of cute babies and pictures of vacations and we catch up on the lives of our friends. Or on your phone, Siri, well, she'll answer you in your preferred exotic accent that you have chosen. And, uh, and I was telling Matt, in our house, we've actually named our robot Vacuum and uh, we thank her by what's, name. What's her name? Rosie. Rosie, and she never complains. Never. So, um, how could we be lonely, right? And then something I came across um, was that half of people suffer from what Matt mentioned, chronic loneliness. And to define it for you, it happens when a person feels lonely, lonely regardless of what's going on around them. They could be with family, uh, with friends, or alone, but the feeling of loneliness, man, it never leaves. And another, another report found that nearly half of Americans say they have meaningful daily face-to-face -face social interactions. And this does include extended conversation with friends or spending quality time with family. But we didn't come here to give you all bad news. But as Matt said, we came here to share with you 
just how community thrives here at Rio. And my job really gets me the front row seat of that. Tom mentioned the spectators and the fans and the players. And I get to watch spectators come over and step out of fear and anxiety, apprehension, and they step right into the arms of the players. And I see so many of you here today, and I know that you're ready and willing. You're ready to explore the word with them, serve with them, share, the, share faith, share life together with them, and serve in Christ's name. So we'll jump right in. We've got four pathways here at Rio. Um, and they are those that share, those that study, those that search, and those that serve. And as I talk through them, you'll notice that they really, they overlap quite a bit, but that's okay. They should be dynamic. The friendships that come of these groups um, should be dynamic as they serve in his church. So the primary group that we have in the share category would be community groups. And those meet uh, weekly or bi-monthly in and around the city. And you'll find individuals in these groups that share a similar life stage, but they're also looking to study the word together. Now, by the numbers, we have 21 groups with 238 members. And if we only considered this community at Rio, we'd, we'd honestly be failing. Um, it's only 35% of our members, but that's okay, because we recognize that this traditional form of gathering isn't for everyone. We recognize that there's groups that meet and they share life together regularly, they vacation together, they support foster families, they support other families in our church. And we, we definitely want to encourage that, even though that they're not reflected in our numbers. But although we know we'll never be at 100%, we do believe that more people would gather if there were more groups meeting around the city. And so for that, we do need more facilitators. So if you are someone who is sitting next to your people or family or friends, you have someone to call during the week and you found that community here at Rio, we really want to encourage you to take that step out to explore the facilitator role so that you might meet the need of um, someone looking for that type of community here. And to do that, um, like Matt said, um, you can send it out on the app, under community groups, on the website, it'll, it'll make its way to me for sure. Everything funnels to her. Anything you ever do, it all just ends up to, to Melissa. She means she's, she's <laughs> dipping it up. Um, but the next type of share group that I want to briefly share with you is um, the coffee hour, which is a really cool group. It's, um, we got a slide there, yep. It's unique because it was created by the young adults in our church who saw that there was a need for a regular meeting space and a regular time to meet newcomers. It happens in between services every Sunday right across um, in the River House. And all you have to do is walk over there. You don't have to email me, although you could. Um, but just walk on over. And I've seen some beautiful pictures come out of this. One is watched a young lady get welcomed, walked over there, found, found her community. They had the opportunity to go get trained in pour overs and other fine coffee making skills. She went right to that, turned around, stepped into service at the coffee hour because she wanted to ensure that nobody was missed, that there would be a friendly face there to welcome others as she was once welcomed. And I think that that just is beautiful. Um, so next we have uh, groups that study. So while our community groups meet to share life together and study the word, we have groups that study like real men, real women, moms, seniors, impact. Well, they'll come together to study and then often 
find that bonds of friendship are created. This is definitely for the lifelong learners listening here today, because there's an entire subset at Rio of people that will be at every Dr. Gage and Sam Kasson Smith class. <laughs> Um, it's truly how they've come to thrive and grow in their faith and belong to this great community. So I encourage you, if you see an opportunity on our calendar or hear of one from the stage announcements, just come check it out. Come grab a cup of coffee and engage because there's definitely a rich community to be sought out here. All right. Next we have those that search. So we have two um, main examples that I want to share with you today. And that's going to be first our beta community groups. These are short-term community groups. They make a seven-week commitment where most, if not all, of the members are new to each other. And they all uh, come together just to study and meet each other. There's no pre-established cliques and groups to break into or worry that there'll be inside jokes you'll miss out on. Um, but they're, they're just here to find community. Um, now, we do have a picture of Pete and Julia Gockenbach's community group. It's th that's there. They um, did a kickoff picnic before their group began to meet this fall to decide the course for their group. And what's really cool about this group is that Pete and Julia wanted to explore that facilitator role. They wanted to learn a little bit. Would they be good at it? You know, did you need the seminary? Melissa said you don't need a seminary degree, but we want to make sure she's telling the truth. Um, they stood on the stage right here, and Matt married them last night. That's what these lights are still um, up here for. And in their bridal party, on either side, is a, was a couple, a uh, husband and wife, that came to them and said, hey, we've been here, you noticed us, we'd love to join your group. And like two and a half years later, they stood by their sides and watched as they made their wedding vows. And that's the kind of rich community that could come of just taking that first step. Yeah, and as an aside, um, this is really Im important. Uh, Pete and Julia were two of those people who had kind of reported to me that they'd come to the church for a while and, and really not made any friends, really hadn't even, in some cases, been spoken to on a Sunday. But they turned it positive, and they said, you know what, we're going to help other people like us. And so they created a group that was open, wide open, uh, and they started drawing people in, and then we see the fruit of their, um, their heart of friendship to everybody and that's what we're trying to cultivate mm -hmm. absolutely the other one that I want to mention about those that search in this in this pathway is alpha so many of you have heard of alpha as a great space to explore the big questions of life and faith and that it's a safe and open environment and if if that appeals to you please join us Thursdays 6 in the attic um, each each session is designed to be independent, so if you've missed previous sessions, uh, no need to worry. But if you've passed off Alpha as not for you because you're well-established in your faith, then what I'm about to say is for you. Consider coming to just one class. Dinner is served and childcare is free. When you go, you'll begin to understand the course and what it has to offer so that those in so that you can consider those in your network that you might extend an invitation to. There's a handful of people in this room as I look around, um, they've come and they've left feeling more equipped knowing what Alpha has to offer and knowing that they could extend an invitation to that one person. That one person is the person that just popped in your mind as the person you always invite on Sunday. The person you always invite to fellowships or church functions and you keep trying, 
And we want you to know that there is another way in. There's another door. And it's important that we find multiple ways to invite people to explore their faith. So I would encourage you to write down the name of that person. Write, write it down. Begin praying for them. Tell us. We'll be praying for them. Um, certainly want to encourage you to know that that's an option for you to share your faith. So the last thing that we're going to cover today is communities that serve. And I don't want to go too much into it because um, Tom Olive is going to take us next week through this piece. But certainly as uh, you consider serving in the name of Christ, being so full and living out your faith. Um, we have over 20 volunteers that rotate among the worship team. Oh, they uh, do a wonderful job. I mean, this morning alone, really just um, moving us through song and musical talent. Our children's ministry, 70 volunteers between both service guys to make sure that you can sit here for a time of worship, that you can be dedicated and focused because you know your kids are being loved on and poured into. This is definitely a community that you can come serve in and plug in here. So as I close, um, a few weeks ago, I shared at the women's retreat. And I didn't realize at the time that it had pretty much everything to do with what Matt and I were preparing for this morning. But um, my family, we move every four or five years with my husband's job. And we've actually moved six times in the past 11 years. And this, this really has the potential to be very lonely, if we are unintentional. So at each new place, we do three things we prioritize. We find a home, we find a good school for the kids, and we find a church family. And as I look out, I have written Rio has that, but I look at your faces and you have provided that church family for my family. It's probably why I love this job so much. Um, but you've taken us in as family. You've uh, prayed for us. You have walked with us. You have encouraged us. And then above that, you've let us in. You've let us love you. You've let us pour into you. And really embodied the community of Christ that Matt spoke about. The reason why we have friends. And I know above all else that God wants us to be loved. He wants you to be loved. And he wants you to have friends to walk with you and to be consistent present in your life. Listen, there's rich community here at Rio. And I pray that if you have been seeking a way out of loneliness or breaking through the grind of church to realize there's so much more here than just Sunday, I encourage you to come talk with us. Anyone in a blue shirt, the prayer team, the information desk, come talk to us. The opportunities we have may be exactly what you're looking for, or he may have plans to draw you out of your comfort zone. Trust me. <laughs> He's been known to do that. So come with your hand raised, expectant to what the Lord would have for you. In the video, uh, one of the children said that being friends is as easy as eating chocolate. So if you look under your seats, you won't find anything there. <laughs> I, you have to give it time. I didn't give it enough time. That was good. I saw people with mm -hmm. the heads going. She's but, been... She's been dying for that moment all week. The, the whole message was a setup for that right there. But um, at the close of service, if you'll come on back to the information desk, there will be chocolate there. And I'm really looking forward to start uh, your, the conversation about you and community. Thank you, Melissa.
She was just dying for that joke. She's, that was the whole, re- that, the whole talk was a setup for that, to be able to do that to you. We would need way more volunteers to stick chocolate under every seat, so keep that in mind. Um, at the beginning of the service, you saw a video that ended with uh, a, little, a little group of old men in a black and white picture, and if you're a nerd, you, you knew who C.S. Lewis was when that, that came up, so he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, among other amazing, brilliant things. Uh, another guy sitting there was uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote uh, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, this was a group of friends, um, and there were, there were others. They were called the Inklings, and they would meet regularly, and they would work through each other's literature together, and they would smoke cigars and drink, <laughs> and, uh, and they would work through each other's stuff, and they were, they were the dearest of friends. And so uh, the last few, uh, few uh, words of that quote that came up on that screen are, are really the ethos that we want to understand, that we want to create in ourselves and at Rio. Uh, a friendship, a friend uh, is a state of mind. It's a way you walk around in the world as a friend, as a friend, looking for enemies that you could make friends if you want, if you want to live like Jesus. And so the last few things he said, or this is what he said, he said, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of my facets. Hence, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth if only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. They can then say, as the blessed soul says in Dante, here comes one who will augment our loves. For in this love, to divide is not to take away. Let's pray. Lord God, you have been pouring out your glory for all eternity. Powerful and beautiful and ubiquitous, unstoppable. And through it, you have set us free. If we will receive it. You have also made us for community. You've made us for fellowship just like you. And in so doing, you have shown us that we are loved. May this group of people sitting in this room first embrace freedom and love from you to them that they might share it in a world of isolation that needs you and love and freedom so desperately. In Jesus' name, amen.